When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode. I'm really excited about today's guest, Charlotte Rooney, and she's going to talk about revealing the secrets of thriving in high-pressure roles by harnessing the power of authentic purpose-driven leadership. And so today's talk is going to be all about resiliency, emotional mental resiliency, taking a breather, pause, and being proactive as opposed to reactive. So Charlotte, welcome. Thanks, Christopher. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, tell people your backstory, how you got started, and we'll get right into it. Okay, I'll give you the short version because I have uh, done quite a few different things in the course of my life. Um, my career started in humanitarian relief and development. So I worked overseas for nearly a decade in various different places, South America, India, and Africa. Um, that was where I got my first taste of really high pressure environments, you know, when you're working, delivering life-saving healthcare in war zones in the middle of the jungle. It's definitely one of those moments where you really understand the meanings of the word pressure and that question that people usually ask, like, you know, do lives depend on it? Well, actually, yes, they do. Um, so, you know, that that definitely was a bit of a baptism of fire. After about 10 years doing that, I decided that it was no longer fulfilling me the same way that it had done before. And I was really looking to move back closer to my friends and family and somewhere a little bit more secure and safe. So I moved to the UK um, and then joined a management consulting firm. So I was at McKinsey for four years. Uh, Again, another high pressure environment. Uh, I actually did leave McKinsey after burning out. So again, learned quite a few things about how not to do it under high pressure circumstances. When I came back to work, I joined a startup that worked in youth unemployment, which was very, very small. When I joined, there were three full-time employees. I left three years later, there were 80 to 100 full-time employees, most of whom had been hired by me. And um, I had done such a good job of putting together a team of high performers that I put myself out of a job. So I decided that the only thing left was to start my own business. And that's where I am now. Mm. Yeah, I love, I think self-employment, business owner, entrepreneurship, those are the keys to just creating freedom. It's it's difficult, but it's worth it. So um, kind of would know, we'll set the stage and when the dream job's not so dreamy, um, I've been there, I've been like achieved in, I'm like, you know, what is this? You know, what does this mean? And, you know, this is not what I signed up for. Um, so talk about how to turn disappointment into your next big move. That's certainly the most powerful move you can make when you find yourself in a state of disappointment. And it really has to start with you taking a bit of a step back and doing a bit of an audit for yourself about why is it that you are in the position that you're in right now? What do you think has disappointed you? What were you expecting that hasn't happened? So that you can get really clear on for want of a better term, what has gone wrong? Um, Because your next big move is not going to take you somewhere better if you're not clear what problem you're solving for. 
So I always recommend that if you, you know, if you're starting to feel like your dream job is a bit more of, of a nightmare than a dream, the first thing you have to do is you have to ask yourself, what is it that I don't enjoy about what I'm doing now? Then you have to ask yourself, what would I enjoy if I could change this job, if I could have a job that allowed me to do what I enjoy all the time, what would I be doing? And that is going to give you a really clear indication of what your next move should look like in what kind of direction you should be going. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, so then, you know, kind of moving, uh, the next question is, you know, you know, what is the cause of, um, especially in the working world, there's, uh, this kind of glass ceiling if if you're not a if you don't if you don't fit the type you know um talk about this breaking the glass ceiling a new area of resilience influence and career fulfillment yeah so there's lots of different glass ceilings i think for different people in in different kind of places often we think about the glass ceiling we think immediately sort of women moving up the corporate ladder into c suite roles in into leadership but that's not the only glass ceiling that there is. I think, you know, sometimes people call it the broken rung um, of a ladder as you're climbing up. And that might be moving from your first individual contributor role into your, you know, your first management role, or it might be moving from, you know, sort of junior management into senior management. It might be changing your career entirely and kind of going from being on the operation side into customer delivery. There's all kinds of barriers that exist when we want to do things that are different. When it comes to breaking one of those barriers, um, you really have to be prepared for the fact that it is going to require you to have faith in yourself when you may not have a lot of evidence already that you know what you're doing. So you've got to build on your past success. You've got to look back and say, what am I good at? Um, where have I used the skills that I'm going to need in this new role in a different environment? So even if you haven't ever been, for example, on an executive leadership team, where have you already demonstrated the ability to make really good evidence-based decisions? Where have you already shown that you are an incredible influencer and able to bring people on side with things that are important to you so that you can get done the work that you need to be done? It's not because you haven't done it before, or even, you know, that you're looking ahead, you're like, there's nobody ahead of me in this role who looks anything like me. That doesn't mean that it's not available to you, but it really does rely on that self-confidence. And then that kind of goes hand in hand, with, you know, as you said in the question, around resilience. And it's really unrealistic to expect yourself or anyone else for that matter to do everything right the first time. No matter how much you've studied, no matter how much how smart you are, no matter how much you prepare. There's always going to be times when you don't you don't get the result that you wanted or you don't execute as well as you wanted or something just doesn't go your way. And building the resilience to be able to accept that. Pick yourself up. Take a look back. See it as feedback. Here's some information that I have about things that do work, things that don't work. I'm going to harness those. I'm going to create a new hypothesis. I'm going to try again. And that is the mindset that is going to take you through any glass ceiling that you ever hit. Yeah. And then uh, kind of we'll talk about um, one thing is leadership and how do you redefine leadership for today's female professionals, especially when old industry norms persist? And then uh, there's a kind of a follow-up questions I have for you after that. <laughs> sure. I think 
it's an interesting one. You know, people people are constantly looking to redefine leadership. But for me, the definition of leadership doesn't change. It's about the way you go about achieving that aim. So leadership for me is about inspiring other people to take action towards an agreed goal. So, you know, whatever, whether that is leading an organization to its first, you know, 100 million in revenue, whether that is, you know, organizing volunteers to set up the, you know, the the Cub Scouts camping trip. It's always about inspiring people to come together and to take action towards a goal. Mm -hmm. I think what we see at the moment is there's a sort of new narrative that I've noticed with people talking about the idea of sort of masculine versus feminine leadership. And this is particularly problematic, really, for women in the workplace, because it's we've taken a set of characteristics and arbitrarily decided that they are gendered, whereas leadership is not gendered. You know, every individual human has all of these different leadership traits. You know, the the ability to be commanding, the ability to be empathetic, to inspire others to action, to listen, to collaborate, sometimes to carry their point through in the face of opposition. Everybody has those things in differing levels. And with this sort of gendered idea that we have around leadership, that masculine leadership is one particular way and it's all about, you know, power and competition and control and feminine leadership is all about listening and collaboration and relationships. I mean, that doesn't serve anybody because actually every leader needs a little bit of all of those things and needs to be able to flex their style to the problem that's in front of them. Yeah, which kind of uh, the next thing is um, talking about is this, uh, you've talked about the myth of demanding versus likable for women in leadership. Mm -hmm. Can you dive deeper into this? And, you know, kind of the stereotype is, you know, the assertive, assertive female executive and how can leaders be assertive without feeling they're compromising their likability? That is a really good question. And it is one that a lot of people I think are struggling with. I think there's a couple of things that 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 are interesting here. Um, firstly, how much does it matter that you are considered to be likable? Now, research does suggest that if you are a woman in leadership, it matters a lot more to you and actually also to the people around you that you are considered to be likable. Whereas For many men, they are less likely to be penalized in their leadership journey if they are seen as being less likable. That's often kind of associated as, oh, this is someone who gets things done, even in the face of opposition, whereas a woman taking a similar kind of approach would be more likely to be labeled as, you know, unlikable or or aggressive. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely something for you when you're receiving that kind of feedback to to bear in mind, right? This is not necessarily objectively true. Okay, Um, I I think that's an important place to start. And then knowing that, knowing that there is this possibility that the way you behave may be interpreted differently, it is about you deciding for yourself what is authentic to the way that you want to lead. What is the right balance of keeping other people happy, making sure that everybody feels heard, making sure that everybody is seen and valued And also the understanding that, unfortunately, many times when you're making critical leadership decisions, there isn't an answer that keeps everybody happy and also moves you towards your goal. I mean, you know, there is the answer if we can stay here and we can keep talking about it and we can go nowhere. But ultimately, that's not going to keep everybody happy either. So each person, each situation is going to find that balance in a different way. 
But I think it, it's important for leaders to realize that the goal is not necessarily that everybody always likes you at all times. <laughs> um, I think the goal is that you are able to get the right things done while also being as open and inclusive and, and, and reasonable as you can be in the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite uh it's quite interesting this whole uh dynamic and kind of um you know the corporate world is is really interesting. Um I don't really understand it or fit into it, but uh you know it's kind of this jockeying and you know it kind of reminds me of the games of thrones. Um so um you know kind of talking about um uh, one of the thing is you help leaders to not only manage team better but also manage themselves. Can you elaborate on the intersection of self-awareness and effective leadership? Absolutely. I'm going to make quite a bold statement here, and I'm going to say that self-awareness is the key critical skill that every leader should be spending more time developing. Hmm. Um, and I mean that both in terms of the internal self-awareness, like how well do I know what my motivations are? How well do I understand my own biases, the way they are showing up in the work that I do, in the judgments that I make? How well do I understand what I'm good at and and what I'm not so good at? But also the often slightly harder part is the external self-awareness, which is really keying into how do other people experience working with me? How does my presence affect the people around me? And that, that fundamentally comes down to feedback, right? And, and feedback is a word that strikes fear into the hearts of pretty much everybody. I read a study recently which said that if you put if you do brain scans of people and say the word feedback to them, the fear centers light up, right? So this wow. is like a hardwired thing that humans have. We are afraid of the idea of feedback. But to be a great leader, you have to learn to give and receive very honest, compassionate and loving, but honest feedback from people around you so that you can really develop that external self-awareness as well and know, you know, when I think I am being assertive, <laughs> is that how I come across? Or when I think I am leading a meeting where everybody feels included and able to speak, is that the experience of the people around me? Or am I unconsciously prioritizing the voices of certain people in the room? And you can't necessarily know that unless you unless you look for the feedback. And it is then kind of the knock-on effect of that, of you being aware of your own motivations, aware of how other people see you, is that you will be experienced as a better leader because you will come across as being fully you and fully authentic and other people can, can feel that when they're around you. And I think that that then leads to, you know, teams that are happy to work for you and happy to work with you, which is I mean, for me, I think what most leaders would love to know. Yeah. Yeah. The next question is uh, with leadership, no longer being the person doing the work, that can be kind of a really, you know, kind of going from doing to managing. How do you teach them to delegate and trust their teams more? And why is that essential for growth? <laughs> yeah, that that is a, it's a hard one for a lot of people. I mean, it's the first biggest mindset shift that you make um, on your leadership journey is understanding that the value you add as a leader is no longer to do with your direct output in that same way. And for a lot of people, you know, 
we get promoted because we're excellent at the jobs that we're doing, right? You know, you're the best software engineer, so you get promoted to manage a team of software engineers, or you're the best salesperson, so you get promoted to, to lead a team of salespeople. But now it's not you making those sales calls, but you still need to be, you know, accountable for those results. And what I see a lot of early career manager and leaders doing is they think that the way they're going to support their teams is kind of by checking in on them, making sure that they're sticking to targets, you know, are they are they doing this work the way that I would do it? Which is, even though it comes from such a great place, frankly, just micromanagement and, and what it actually does is it upsets everybody in your team and it drives your productivity down and it's likely to leave you with a team who do not like working for you, even though you think you're being really helpful. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the first thing, you know, that you, that you really need to internalize is that, right, that you are not there to check up on people's work. That is that is not your role <laughs> as a manager or as a leader. Mm -hmm. What your role is, is to create the conditions in which the people who work for you are able to do their best work. Oh, and that's a totally different thing, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. it, it's it's not the same as, I mean, and to begin with, you know, it's probably true. You probably could do that sales call faster than the junior person who's doing it right now. I bet that software engineer who's leading the team could code way quicker and with fewer mistakes than that junior person who's just joined their team. But that's not the value they're looking to add right now. The value they're looking to add right now is to make sure that that team of software engineers understands what is the final product that we want. Yeah. And then do they have everything they need to be able to get there? Do they know how to create the, the type of code that's going to work? And if they don't, do they need training or do they need mentoring? Do they have enough time? And if they don't have enough time, can you negotiate upwards to get that time for them? Do they need, you know, more encouragement? Do they need more feedback? Your role as a manager is to optimize the environment that your team works in. And it doesn't feel sometimes like you're doing very much. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that could be that could be really hard. You're like, well, I mean, I'm just overhead. What am I doing here? But when you think about it in that way, you are clearing obstacles to allow the experts that you have hired to do their best work. I think that can that can be a really rewarding and fulfilling role when you think about that as an idea of like, you know, because of me, my team are now able to do twice as much as they could do before. And they're having twice as much fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of uh, really interesting. And then um, kind of talking about, you know, as we end it, talk about for those who feel they're not adding value or question their purpose in their roles, what steps can they take to rediscover their passion and drive in leadership and then lastly, how can people follow you, uh, contact you, reach out to you, et cetera? Yeah. So, yeah, that kind of follows on from what I was just saying. I think it, it if you are in that space of thinking, you know, I don't produce anything anymore as a leader. And if you are in that space, I feel you. I have been there myself um, when I first moved to the UK after having spent years and years overseas in, um, you know, in developing countries, always on the front lines, you know, running the teams who were running, you know, the mobile clinics, helping the refugees in the field. And then I came to an office in London and what was I doing? I was writing grants proposals, right? And I felt like I was overhead. I'm like, what value do I add here? 
But I would say just answer that question for yourself, right? Because as I took a step back, I realized, okay, but all of that work that's being done on the ground, that can't be done without the support from the donors, which is coming from the grants proposals that I am writing, from the meetings that I am having with the Department for International Development. That is what is facilitating the experts on the ground to be able to be in that clinic, you know, giving the life-saving food to a child with um, undernourishment. So you have to look for that. Answer that question for yourself, honestly. Where am I helping? And if you can't see it, (laughs) if you genuinely can't see any way that what you are doing is helping to deliver the ultimate goal, you know, a couple of things you can do. Firstly, I would definitely have a conversation with your manager or leader to make sure that you are doing what is expected of you. Help them, ask them to help you understand why what you're doing is valuable. And secondly, I would be really open to the possibility that you may need to change some of the things that you're doing if if you're not seeing it for yourself. And that can be based on, you know, really identifying your strengths and what you enjoy doing and trying to spend more time doing that. Um, Or it might just be about talking to the people around you and getting that feedback. How is what I'm doing helping? And then implementing that feedback when it comes back to you so that you can change in a way that means that the work that you are doing is perceived as helpful by other people. And that will in turn usually help you to feel more helpful yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Um, and how how can people contact you, reach out to you, et cetera? Um, yeah, so the best thing to do is to find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me, um, just put Charlotte Rooney, all one word after that last backslash, and that will take you right to my profile. Uh, you can follow or connect with me there. And um, if you have been listening to this and thinking, gosh, I do need to get a little bit more feedback, and um, that's a bit scary for me, I have a free guide that I can share with you that will help you to go through that process in a way that will feel less scary and also allow you to really use anything that comes back to you as a springboard for your success. So just DM me feedback, and I can send that over to you so that you can get started. All right. And for all the audience out there, um, let's thank Charlotte for coming on and really interesting conversation. All of our resources will be in the links and show notes about leadership. And with that, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.